you know? I can't do a whole lot with that build with just one, can I? But, you know, this Lego, when I combine it with other pieces, now I didn't bring in a whole lot, but I brought all sorts of, there's just a few others I grabbed out of my kid's Lego box. But there's a red one and a blue one. And they come in all different shapes, and you can build all sorts of things with Lego, can't you? And they're all unique. They're all different and different in color and different in size. And as you put them all together, you can build amazing things. Now, in the Bible, boys and girls, it tells us that the church is the body of Christ. So right here in Bodesert Church, we're his body. And even though each one of us is just one little piece, you know, we might be a rectangle piece or a square piece or a red piece with different colors and different shapes and sizes, as we come together, we can build um, a mighty church. Now, I didn't bring a a masterpiece church, but I'm sure if I had enough Lego pieces, I could build something really an awesome church, don't you think? Yeah. And so that's what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, that all of us are different parts, and as we come together and fit together, we can be the body of Christ. Isn't that exciting? So that means you and you and you are all unique, you're special, and the church needs you now and forever. So I hope you'll always remember church is important and it's most important when you're part of it. Thank you guys for listening. God bless you. Thank you. Um, Jan Took, who is going to give us a bit of history of the church, followed by Winsome. Bow Desert Seventh-day Adventist Church was officially dedicated and opened at 11am on the 31st of August 1949 and we have a picture up there. It was opened by Pastor Moat who is there and those two people over there are actually Faye Barron's mother and father. There was only about 17 or 18 members, but there was a lot of people there. And on that particular day, everybody couldn't get into the church, so they put speakers outside. But they didn't have them in the right angle. And everybody in the neighbourhood heard the prayer, the opening ceremony, which was good after all. But let's go back. It was about 35 years before the church was properly it was dedicated that the Markwell family were interested in religion. And Louisa Jane, who is my grandmother, came into town one day and she met a Mrs Tinworth who was selling oranges, um, vegetables from her sulky. She gave her a, par- a leaflet that was called "What day do you, Which Day Do You Keep and Why? She took it home, read it, then approached the Anglican minister and asked him, which day is the correct day? He got a little bit annoyed and he said, well, actually, Saturday is the right day, but if you want to go along with the the Jews, just do that. But the best thing you can do with that leaflet is to just give it to Roud for shaving paper. 
The family studied with Jehovah's Witnesses, Plymouth Brethren. There was a number of ministers and people who came along, but it was still in the back of their mind about the Sabbath, which was the correct day. The family grew up out at Goulds Hill, and one day, Grandma, as I'll now call her, decided she would pray. It was a Friday. She said, God, please send somebody along today that will tell the Saturday is the correct day. That afternoon, when they were all down milking, along came Mr Bill Moss. He was a coal porter and he was doing the appeal for missions. The Moss family stayed for the whole weekend and they studied the Bible. Then he went off and the girls grew up. They were married in the Anglican church, but there was still that inkling about Sabbath. Eventually, Nell, who was my mother, um, she married and she heard on the radio the voice of prophecy and they were advertising Bible correspondence courses. So Mum said, I'd like to do it. And Dad probably said, oh, yeah, just go along with it. He wasn't really into religion at that stage. So Mum studied, eventually went to camp, took her, two sister, took her mother and father with her, and they came back. And then there was a Mr Reed, an insurance agent, who came into the district. He was an Adventist, and he was invited by the conference to contact Mum and ask her how she was going with her um, course. He then suggested that they start a Sabbath school class. By this stage, my mum's sisters were also interested. So there was 22 of them that started the first Sabbath school in the house on the other side of the Baptist church. Mr Reed, his family, and eventually we moved up to the house right next door here. And that belonged to my grandfather and grandmother. Um, then it was suggested that Pastor Grieve, who was the president of the conference, he came up and he was going to do some studies, first of all, just on a Sabbath, down, and we actually rented the Masonic Lodge Hall. And we all went down there. And our kids weren't particularly interested in what he was saying, but... You know, it was always a children's story anyhow. So eventually he then ran a small mission and Mrs Milbank and her family joined the church. By this stage, my grandfather, who actually owned a lot of land in this area, said, it's time we've got a church. Him and my mother and his wife had been baptised at Albion Church, some of the others at Ipswich Church, this was all in 1948, and that is a photo of my grandparents on their wedding day in 1910, and I think the next one will show the family, the um, actual Markwell family. But, yeah, that's them. That was the family that actually were interested in religion and eventually were the ones that started this church here. There were a few, another family though joined in and that was the Weber family. They were Adventists that weren't, they were just studying at home. Mr Weber decided he was selling fruit and vegetables from a sulky and then from a car. He used to go round the town 
And again, they told him about the Sabbath school class that was starting, so the Weber family joined as well. As a matter of fact, I talked to um, their daughter last night and she sends her greetings. That was Gladys Weber that was. Um, then they decided that they needed a church. So my grandfather donated this block of land to the conference, to the church. Matter of fact, there had been big plans for this to become a tennis court. This was going to be the, a tennis area in the, in the district. It became the church. Then there was great flurry to what they were going to build. Mr Bill McFarlane was a builder in the area, so he was given the job. Where's the timber come from? Well, some of the men used to go out on a Sunday out to Nindawimba, which is one of the original homesteads here. We knew the Collins family well because the Markwells had been original settlers as well. And Mr Collins allowed them to cut the timber down. Mr Buchanan took it out, brought it into his sawmill, sawed it up, and that's what this church is made out of. From the original photo, you notice it was a dark browny colour because it was oiled. It wasn't painted at that particular stage. So the church was started. Unfortunately, the devil tried to work very hard here. And Mr Reed, who was the man who's got the first Sabbath school going, and they actually sang Jesus, Saviour, Pilot, Me for the original hymn, first hymn. Mr Reed started getting visions, etc., and he wanted to paint the church black inside. That was what he'd been told to do. This caused a fair bit of contention in the church, and the conference president, Pastor Grieve, had to come up and sort it all out. Anyhow, um, ev eventually um, the church was built, it was dedicated, and we had... We were actually given a pastor, yes, Scott, we had our own pastor here in those days. He was a worker, Keith DeVille. Keith was here for a couple of years. Unfortunately, it was a very sad time. Keith had a young wife with two children. He'd been out studying one night with people, came home, spoke to Audrey, and when he woke up in the morning, his children were crying. Mummy is all cold. And she was in her late 20s. She's buried up here in Bodesert Cemetery. So that was a very sad time for the church. Then we had a few other pastors. We had George Metcalf, we had Rex Moe, we had Pastor J.D. Anderson, who'd been a missionary. And then there are, no, there are others. I know there was Miroslav and Mike and some of those. The church... Um, flourished really there was a lot of people that came so we'd had we'd had a funeral, we'd had dedications and there was to be a baptism now Gordon Aldridge he became an Adventist after his wife as did my father and a few of the others, the men weren't that interested in it but by the influence of the women they decided they wanted to, Gordon decided he wanted to be baptised not in Ipswich, not in Malby and anywhere else, right here in this church. He said, I'll pay for the font, or the dip as he called it. <laughs> he was a cattleman. 
So a couple of the others, um, my father and Colin Love. Now, Colin never became a member, but he was always here. He used to mow the lawn, do things, do the gardening. They built the font, and I believe it's still there today. And, yes. And Gordon was the first man baptised, first person baptised in the church by old Pastor Knight. And that was a high day for the church. They had their own, their first baptism. The church went on. Now we'd had dedications. We'd had, and that was the church a little bit later on after the fence was put up. We'd had dedications. We'd had baptisms. We'd had funerals. And there was one thing missing, and that was a wedding. Oh, and there it is. And Delphine is here today with us. And Delphine and Richards was the first wedding in this church. There has been a number since, and unfortunately, a number of funerals as well. But I don't know. I had a feeling it, it, that the Markwell girls were christened. Um, christened. Sorry, I was christened. Um, they were dedicated. Peter was born afterwards and Graham was only six months old when we used to go down to the Masonic Hall. So there's no record as to who was the exact first dedication. Um, The church members were very keen to influence others in the town. We weren't all that popular with some of the other religions here. They thought this was a silly religion to be involved with. As a matter of fact, I know from school I had a teacher who was a very strong Anglican and it wasn't all that nice being in class at times. But anyhow, the church members, they, over the years, they did um, five-day plans to stop smoking. They did health seminars. They, they ran um, a JMVs here. We used to get stuff from the conference office. JMVs will run. The appeal for missions, and I'm sure we some of us go, oh no, appeal for missions. The conference office used to give each church an aim, and you were expected to get that amount of money. But Desert Church was keen to be the first one to get their aim. You know, we used to do, or the, the members used to do, um, Bow Desert. We used to do Canungra, Tambourine Mountain. They would go all the way up to Rathdowney. They'd go up to Darlington, go over to Boona, and collect in Boona. It was it was all it was a very 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 busy time. And a few times they'd say the conference the next week would put out a bullet a list as to how much you'd collected of your aim. And the big thing was to be first out, as they used to say. And I remember a few Monday mornings, I know they'd had their aim and they'd ring the conference. We've got ours. Has anybody else got theirs? I tell you, it was very, very important. Back to Sabbath school. Mrs Weber used to run a kid's Sabbath school and we used to use the house next door for the kids. I was talking to her daughter last night and she remembers... But some of us kids weren't all that well behaved. 
And she did remember one particular boy who used to write to run around and never listen. And she said to me, but um, his, her mother, before she died, was very pleased to know that he had actually become a district director for Pathfinders. So her Sabbath school classes were not in vain. Another thing the church used to do, they used to go over to the Bow Desert Show and they used to set up a health stand. They would take your weight and your skin fold and all these things. The ladies used to, it was a ritual Sabbath afternoon to go and visit the hospital, hand out the signs of the times, then eventually to the old age people's homes as well. So they spent a lot of time doing this sort of stuff and becoming well-known in the community. As a matter of fact, they were so well-known that they were even asked to help collect for the Red Cross, the Cancer Appeals, and they become eventually well-known for their charity work in the town. The The Lord has blessed the church, and I'd like to hope, and well, I know he will, Bless the church in the future. Thank you. Well, let's do that. The grandchildren of the original benefactors, would they like to stand, please? Yep. There we go. Look at that. There we go. There we go. Well done. Okay, Mr. Naughty Little Boy. Okay. Very good. And there was two great-grandchildren, one here and there's one out the back in the hall as well. So, wow. It is a family affair, isn't it? Uh, Winston, would you like to come forward and share some more history with us, please? So it's fallen to me to talk about some more recent history. Around 2005, the church was comprised of a handful of older people. Nellie Gill from next door attended together with her cat. (laughs) Elaine Harker Lillystone was the elder. The church lunch every week has always been very important. Helen Love and Doug Lavers-McBain have been very long-term members. Graham Love's parents lived in the house behind the, the church and Graham's dad often said grace at the church lunch and told stories about US soldiers who were in the district during World War II. The Rab Jones family played active roles and Beryl used to regularly wash up at church lunches. 
families joined the church and with them children. A Pathfinder Club was started by the Sulavalis in 2010 with three Pathfinders and three staff. This attracted more families to the church. Numbers in the club swelled and in 2018 there were 13 staff and 12 Pathfinders. The club has been recognised at the yearly rallies with quite a few Grade A awards. They have also attended three camperies, the latest being at Molesworth in Victoria. On August 5, 2011, we lost Wesley Mui. Let's pause for a moment to think of Wesley. Always ready to help out, quiet, gentle and self-sacrificing. This is only a short description of Wesley. Always an evangelist, Wesley would always be looking for some way to share his faith in God. This was seen in that while studying for baptism himself, he began studies with another couple who were his friends and he was finally baptised with his two friends, Peter and Nicole Clan in February 2009. While running his own business, he always found time to talk to customers about the Signs of the Times magazine. One of his favourite verses was Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It was while serving in Vanuatu, making an airstrip for a flying doctor service, doing what he did best, helping others, that Wesley paid the supreme sacrifice. What may seem a tragedy and is without doubt to many who loved him should be remembered as a legacy of his tireless love and service to others. Wesley knew his God and will be raised at the return of our Lord. Other overseas mission endeavours have included sponsoring three children from a refugee camp in Thailand. Mission trips have been called Big Build and have been supported financially by the church and also individuals. The most recent big build was to the Philippines at the beginning of this year. This was a partnership with a local church conference in the Philippines, Hope Channel Philippines and a village called Shining Jewels where there is an orphanage and a school. Seven Bow Desert Church members joined 87 other volunteers who installed a six-foot chain wire fence to make the property secure, concreted paths and restored the roof to the orphanage and school and also to an academy. Ongoing plans for the church are to become more involved with the community. Today we look back but also look forward.
Thank you, Winston. I'd like to invite the deacons to come forward as we collect our tithe and our offerings. Uh, for the benefit of some of our visitors, the tithe is used for the administration of the system to pay the passes and so on, and the offering is for the maintenance of our local church here. bow our heads as we pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us over the past week. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of returning a portion of what we, we blessed us with. And I pray that, Lord, you pour your blessing upon this money, that it may be used wisely to finish your work, so that you can come and take us home, home to a place where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Scott, I was wondering if you'd like to come forward and just share with us a little bit uh, what is happening at the conference. Give us an update. Thank you. Thanks, Fernand. I was a little bit worried when I put up special item. <laughs> Thought this was my opportunity, but no. Okay. Uh, it is a privilege to be to be here on this special uh, day and to celebrate um, God's goodness to all of us. Um, you know, often we focus on the future and that's, that's important as a church to look towards the future. But we shouldn't forget how God has led us in the past either. And so it's good to be with you and, uh, and Julie's with me. I bring you greetings from Pastor Brett Townend. Uh, he wanted to be remembered as well to you. Unfortunately, South Brisbane also have 
uh, an anniversary on today uh, for their, um, they've been in existence for 120 years. Uh, so they're having their celebration today. So he's there and I'm here. Uh, that's how we work as a team. Uh, but he wanted to be remembered uh, to you as well. Uh, God is good. And uh, I could share with you many of the ways that he has and is blessing us as a conference as we continue to grow right across the spectrum of people that we, that we work with in ministry. Uh, from our early childhood centres right through to our aged care facilities. Uh, we care for folk, uh, we share the gospel with them and their families wherever they, uh, wherever they may be. Uh, one of our largest projects at the moment in fact is with our aged care folk in the far north of the conference, up there in Yapoon, where they don't think of themselves as South Queenslanders, they're Central Queenslanders as they remind me. Um, our aged care facility is expanding up there and we're in the midst of building another, uh, another 60 independent living units as well as refurbishing all of our, um, we call them residential aged care facilities, you might know them as hostels or nursing homes in our four villages uh, to bring those um, up to uh, uh, an increased standard uh, of comfort and to, uh, to bring joy to the lives of those in, in aged care. Our schools continue to grow. Uh, we have building projects happening at three of our um, schools at the moment um, and that's exciting because these are opportunities that we have to witness to not only the children themselves but also their families who come to our schools and open the door and have an opportunity to have a quality education but also to learn most importantly about uh, Jesus and his love for them. So folk, thank you for your ongoing support uh, of, the, uh, of the church and of the conference and it is my real great privilege to be here today uh, to come and to worship. Um, we move around to a different church every Sabbath so we don't actually have, uh, Miroslav asked me, my home church. I don't really have a home church as such but it is great to be able to move around the 106 churches that we have now in the conference each and every Sabbath, uh, different parts of the conference. It gets a little tiring sometimes, as you can understand, but it is good because I see the way different churches, different locations, different sizes, city, rural, far north, west, wherever they may be, are consistently working for God. And that's, a, that's something that encourages me personally, and I can assure you that God is continuing to bless his conference so thank you for the opportunity of coming and sharing uh, to being here today and I congratulate not only the current members for your ministry and uh, I wish you God's blessing for what you're currently doing but also those who have gone before and we've heard this morning uh, Jana shared a very interesting history of how people have really sacrificed to make this a reality and that's what we need to remember that uh, folk that we have an opportunity today to work for God in the same way that people have gone before us Families in different capacities have sacrificed uh, to help God's work move forward here in South Queensland. So thank you again and congratulations on a wonderful day and the ministry that takes place here at, uh, at Bow Desert. Thanks, Scott, for that. Yes, thank you for sharing. Well, I shall introduce myself. Now, Helen, Helen approached me and said, would you like to do a little item on this special occasion? And I, I, I love to praise God. I love to sing. And, and the song I want to share with you is, um, here we are. How long has it been? But I've got to make sure this paper doesn't 
turn all over the place. So let's find it first of all. 51. Oh, this, this is fine because otherwise with a fan here, are we good? Yep. Let's make sure we are in tune. That's good. You know, an author has uh, defined prayer as follows. She says, prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. And I thought, how beautiful. Because God longs to listen to us when we talk to him. And, and it is my prayer as you listen to these beautiful words uh, that you take time out to talk to God. Because he loves to listen to you. He loves to hear your cares, your joy, your sorrows, everything. Just open your heart to him. How long has it been? How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told in your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stood on your knees in the light? So If you have your Bibles with you, 
Would you care to turn to John chapter 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 15, verses 9 to 13. And I shall be reading from the New King James Version. John 15, verses 9 through to 13. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, abide in my love. And the next verse is one of my favorite verses. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And verse 12, this is my commandment, that, I, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And may God bless us this morning as we meditate upon his word. It's my prayer. Amen. Please stand and sing with us as we sing our second hymn, Hymn 100, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
great is His faithfulness, huh? We've heard a bit of the faithfulness here at Bow Desert Church. What was it 1949? You know, I only had a few years here, but as I look out, I see the loves. And it only took, it took me a little while, but that's Ainsley. Fifteen years ago, he was just a young man. No, no, it's Ainsley over there. Andrew, that's right. Sorry about that. And, of course, the All Ridges were here, and the All Ridges were a great support because um, this was one of my first um, churches that I looked after here in Park Ridge after I was ordained as a minister, and it just uh, was a great country feel, and I still love coming here. You know, I'm, I'm over in the Gold Coast now, a church of some 400 people, so it's quite a different feel. And I think my heart still just loves a country church. You know, it's just so warm, and even though we're a big crowd in a way for this church... It feels very close and intimate, and I'm, I'm very honored to be asked to speak today, and it's my hope and prayer that as I just share a few memories, a bit of my own personal testimony and some of God's Word, that it will speak to each one that's here today. You know, I think of Bo Desert, and I think of the, the show. We used to always do a health test at the show, and we ran some Daniel seminars and some... Uh, taking charge of your health seminars I'm used to run here. And, um, you know, you had some good faithful people, and it was a great um, experience, my time here. And I still come back because every year the Pathfinders, Park Ridge, would come down and march in the Anzac Parade. And um, even since I've been back on the Gold Coast the last few years, a couple of times I've come over for that and brought the kids because uh, the kids, as they get older, we tell them, hey, when you guys were in a stroller in a little pram, you know, we used to bring you in this parade. And it kind of has a special place in the hearts of my wife and I. My apologies that the rest of the family were not, unable to attend today with me. But maybe another time we can come and visit with you. I just want to tell you a little bit about God's leading in my life. You know, uh, probably those that don't know me say, oh, he sounds a bit foreign. Um, I've tried for... 25 years to, to put on the Aussie accent, but I haven't got it yet. Um, the southern Alabamian in me is pretty strong. I come from Birmingham, Alabama, and I came to Australia in 1994. And uh, it was March the 4th, 1994, I came over to Tasmania, Launceston, to serve for one year as a youth pastor in Launceston. Well, I, st I had a great year. I stayed a second year, and uh, then the third year I married my lovely wife from Launceston, Karen, and um, the rest is history. I've been here for 25 years now. And in 1996, we got married there in Launceston Church. And um, then I pastored in Devonport. And uh, I loved my four years that I had in Tassie. And then I went to Victoria for six years. And at the end of that six years um, is when I came to Queensland. And it was actually, I was ministering in Horsham down in Victoria when in November I had the call from Queensland. And I've always, even though I had only been to Queensland a couple of times, I just loved Queensland because I grew up actually in Orlando, Florida. My mom and dad split when I was a child, and so I grew up in Orlando. And, you know, around Brisbane area, it's very much a climate like Orlando, Florida, except it's better than Orlando, Florida. If you've ever been to Florida, it's flat. You still have the beautiful mountains, plus you have the warm weather, and I just loved it. And, and when I got the call up here... As always, with a call, I prayed and talked to my wife, and we uh, looked for God's leading, and, and um, we felt strongly that this is certainly where he wanted us. But one of the things that 
put that on us. As seeing, um, for about five years, my wife and I have been trying to have a child. And um, in 2003, that was the year I was called up here, the end of that year, um, we'd been doing um, IVF, trying to help my wife to fall pregnant. Uh, we were traveling a three-hour journey each direction down to Melbourne to do this. And uh, especially for a woman, it was a very tough time with going through this treatment. And uh, we'd gone through it was not only emotionally uh, heavy, but also financially it was a huge thing. And one of the things that really put us over the line that, um, yeah, God was leading us to uh, uh, Queensland, as I was called to Park Ridge and Bow Desert Churches, is that um, um, Monash IVF, they had a, a clinic, which we were doing the IVF through, only about 20 minutes from where Park Ridge. And um, that was one of the things that says yes. And um, th this is God's leading, and there was other things as well, but that was one of the things that kind of sealed it. And so we came here in 2004, actually exactly 15 years ago this year, uh, we ministered here in 2004. And um, it was during that year that we continued with this, and as those that were around at that time know, that um, that year, uh, towards the end of that year, we got good news that Karen was pregnant. And... Um, and so, again, like I said, that's one of the things that makes this church very special because um, we had accepted, we'd actually come to the point where we weren't going to have children. We'd gone into Brisbane and attended an um, adoption meeting. Hundreds of people there wanting to adopt. I don't know if it's gotten any easier, but it wasn't going to be easy to adopt in Queensland. And, uh, but we said, God, you know, maybe this is the way you want us to go. But it was kind of after we had done that, paid to be put on these adoption lists, the Australian list and the foreign list, um, Karen fell pregnant, and, uh, and, and Samuel, our firstborn, was born in 2005, July, the next year while I was pastoring here at Bow Desert. So, you know, I remember as a, a new father coming, you know, very much a rookie and holding this baby and, you know, changing the nappies and doing all those things that you do as a parent. And it was a very special time in our life. Um, you know, I see how much God's led. I think the last time I really officially did anything here was when I did the funeral for Nellie Gill, who lived next door. And, and she was always an amazing woman. I think she was 94 uh, when she passed away in 2006. And uh, she lived next door, and we'd just kind of go over there. We'd be a luncheon every week. I don't know if you still do that, luncheon every week, but it was just, you know, just a real... Um, fellowship every week, and, and I, she was a, a, just a real warrior for the Lord. And, uh, you know, it, it is so good to be a person of faith. And I know that some of you are here, maybe you're not a person that uh, attends church every week, and I'm not here to try to say, hey, you know, you should feel guilty. I'm here to say God loves you. Whether well, this is your first time in church in 10, 20 years, we're glad you're here, and God loves you right where you're at. God accepts you, you know, and God wants to be part of your life. You know, I go back to thinking, you know, well, why did God create man? You know, I often have young people ask me that, and the only answer I've been able to come with is God just wanted someone to love and to love him back. You know, that's really why he created human beings. It's all about love. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in Genesis 1 and 2, it was all beautiful, wasn't it? And then 
something happened. In Genesis 3, we find that God came down to go for a walk with Adam and Eve, as he did. You know, Again, that boggles my mind. What would it be like to go for a walk with God? But it says they heard him walking. So I don't know. Does God have legs? He must. You know, we're creating his image. But just the, the, the thought of walking with God, to me, is, is one of those things that, wow, boggles my mind. But of course, once sin came, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, they suddenly ran and hid from God because that relationship had been broken, been broken by sin. And we still suffer from that, each one of us. We are separated with God because of sin. And again, that seems a bit unfair that um, Mike Collin was born a sinner and I have the separation from God. Did I deserve it? You know, just like you? No, but again, that's where the plan of salvation, God's great plan. And the rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 right through is how God led his people right through the Old Testament. You know, there's lots of things there we don't understand, but if you really study it, you see that God's hand was there and leading through all of humanity and through their uh, horribleness. God continued to lead, and he was leading and pointing forward to the pinnacle of all things, and that was Jesus, his own son that came. And uh, Jesus came, and of course we have that recorded in the New Testament when he was born. And, um, you know, all the rest of the New Testament is pointing back to Jesus because it's all about him. He is the reason that we have hope today. He's built that bridge that was broken when sin came in. And so that's really my passion as a minister is to spread that good news. You know, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's ultimately what it's all about. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible. But if you miss that, you miss the point. I can know the Bible inside out. I can know all the prophecies. I can know all the teachings. But if I don't know Jesus, and I'm talking about knowing him, not knowing about him, but knowing him. And so my real plea today as I begin and as I will finish with this is do you know him? Are you in a heart-to-heart relationship? Down at the Gold Coast, we have a theme for the year, and it's it's heart-to-heart. Heart-to-heart with God and a heart-to-heart with people. This means a connection. It's not just knowing God. uh, It's actually loving him. And it's all about just having a relationship where you're opening up to him and knowing that he loves you and you love him. And it happens through Jesus because that's the bridge. We have to do it through Jesus. The only way to God's through Jesus. And, um, and, but we also need to love others. And sometimes our churches aren't that good at loving others. You know, love God, love people. And um, often it's easy to say, but in our actions, you know, are we actually loving people, especially the unlovable people? And I have to admit, I'm as human as anyone. I have to ask God, help me. Especially love those people that uh, are hard to love. You know, it's easy to love someone they love you. You know, they're nice to you. No problem. But what about the person who's, uh, you know, telling lies about you or who's hurting you physically or emotionally? Um, What about the person who's stealing from you? You know, that's not easy to love. And God says we are to even love our enemies. And that's where... I need God's help because that's not something that comes natural. That, that comes supernaturally through God and His Spirit dwelling in you. Well, in our scripture reading, we had John 15. And I just want to look back at John 15 here because this, this is what it's all about. Here in John 15, Jesus gives this brilliant analogy of the, the vine and the branches. 
And um, I want to read through that whole reading um, that that uh, scripture reading was taken from. So we're going to begin with John chapter 15. I'm going to read with starting at verse 1. Here Jesus is speaking. I am the vine, and I am my father, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that, he, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You see this connection. We've got to be connected, remaining, you know, this um, being completely connected. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words in, in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I mean, you know, ask for anything you want. You see, when we're abiding with God, when we're remaining with Him, we're connected with Him so that His desires are our desires. That's why He will give us whatever we want, because it's not about me, myself, and I. It's about God. It's about what do you want with my life? What do you want me to do? And here then He says, I will work through you. And my glory will help you to bear fruit. And what fruit's he talking about here? You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, isn't that something we all want in our lives? That's something that comes to God's Spirit dwelling in us. And verse 9 is, My Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. You know, th- this is talking about God's commandments. Now, um, Pastor Neil told me you're, he's going through the commandments. You know, the commandments are about love. It's not about law and rules. You know, the, if we're looking at somehow obeying the commandments to earn our way to heaven, you, you're totally looking at it wrong. It's, again, love, a heart-to-heart connection. And as we know, those first four commandments are all about how can we have a a loving relationship with a loving God. If we we love Him and realize He loves us, you know, we're not going to be worshiping other gods. We're not going to be cursing Him. We're going to look forward to worshiping and having a special day with Him. You know, in those last six commandments, you know, if if we really love others, you know, we're going to not hurt them. We're not going to steal from them. We're not going to do those things. And so it's all love-based. And, and reading on in verse 11, I have told you these so that, so that, my, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You know, God wishes us. We as Christians should be the most joyful people on this earth. Because even when we face whatever we face, you know, we look at Paul and his experience, if you know Scripture, you know, he went through so much. But he was one of the most joyful writers. Why? Because he knew this earth is only temporary. He knew that God has better things in store. And his joy was not based on circumstances. It was based on who he was in Christ. And so we must not get caught up in just circumstances because all of us are going to face difficult circumstances. And sometimes we have a good outcome. Sometimes we have a bad outcome. But we need to stay faithful. 
The last two verses, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he may lay down his life for his friends. You know, this, this, this is powerful love. And um, love so much that you lay down your life for someone. And this is ultimately how much God has loved us. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much. That's why He's given us the Bible. That's why He's um, told us all these things to show how He's leading and how the plan of salvation has been um, fulfilled for us. His Son, Jesus Christ, has come, was born on this earth, lived the perfect life. His blood was shed and He died for us. And ultimately, he was resurrected. He defeated the grave and sin. What good news is that? Well, I want to look at one more story. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's a, it's a, a parable and here in, in Luke 15. You've got a stories three in a row where things get lost. And I just want to reflect on these stories, particularly the last one which we uh, refer to as the parable of the lost son often or the prodigal son. And here in these three stories, each one you have something that's lost. The first one's a lost sheep. There's a hundred sheep. One's lost. In the second one, there's ten coins. One gets lost. And um, in the last one, there's two sons. And one is, is well, one's said to be lost in the story. We're going to find out there's, it's a bit more than that. But, you know, each one of these stories is about something being lost and how our Heavenly Father, the ultimate Father, you know, this, this Father's Day is weekend and, and we celebrate fathers. Some of you, you know, are fathers or have fathers or, um, you know, some of our earthly fathers are not always the best fathers. But the Father in Heaven is a perfect Father. He, he's there and He fulfills perfection. That's why I love the relationship, that vertical, that relationship with God because, you know, earthly relationships are challenging because we're two human beings and neither one of us are perfect, you know, and those of you that are married know what it's like, you know. you got husband and wife and, and, you know, at times you go to head. But, you know, in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, He's perfect. He's never at fault. So whenever there's a problem in the relationship, whose problem is it? <laughs> yeah, you can look, it's ours. And, and that's why we can just surrender to Him. And say, Lord, you know, fall to your knees. Say, Lord, I've, I've struggled. Lord, um, whatever it is, just pour it out to him. And he listens and he cares for us wherever we are. Anyway, this story talks about uh, the third story about the son. And one of the sons, I'm going to try to, because I smell the food going already, so I, I better not get too carried away. But I, I do want to touch on some of the key points of this story. And, and here, the, this youngest son, you know, he, he, he desires to something more. He desires something that he's not getting at home. And, um, you know, the whole premise of the story, you think about it, you know, if, if you had a son and you gave him, you know, whatever it was coming to him and he goes out and blows it, you know, how's that going to make you feel? You know, and again, this is talking about us as, as human fathers. You know, I've got a 14-year-old now. Uh, as, as you know, 14 years ago, Samuel was born. And, and, and boy, it's, it's tough. The teenage years, the last two years, it, it seems to be getting harder. And we, my wife and I were talking recently, and in a few years' time, we're going to have four teenagers. You know, 
pray to God he will give us wisdom in that. But, you know, it, it's not easy as a father, you know, to, to, to be able to give that independence that your children are, are needing and also to have the discipline and find the balance in a way and do it in a way where you don't break that heart-to-heart connection with your children, that you keep that bond. You know, it's a challenge. And I certainly need God's wisdom in to do that because... Um, you know, my human tendency was if my son did that, you know, well, when he comes back, you know, I, he blew my money, I'd, I'd throw him. But um, that's not the way God deals with us. And, um, you know, if you think about this story, you got these two brothers. Now, I don't know, I, can, I just imagine a lot of stuff that I look in this story and I just read into it and I kind of add things, you know, uh, in the in the context of, of what we're given. And I, I picture these guys sharing a room. Now, I know they were wealthy. They probably had separate rooms. But I can just picture them as brothers that like hanging out together, as, as boys do. And, um, you know, that they enjoyed. I can just picture them, you know, having playing together and chatting together and, and, and having a great relationship. And, you know, I can imagine this younger boy daydreaming a bit, you know, and saying to his older brother, you know, it's boring around here. I'm getting sick of this house. The same thing, you know, the same chores, you know. Man, you know, there's a whole world out there we've got to see, you know. Man, and, and eventually he just says to his older brothers, we got to do it. we got to do it. Well, won't you do it with me? Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's get what's coming to us, and let's go. Let's go see what the world has to offer. I'm sick of this house. Why don't you come with me? We can do it together, travel the world. The older brother, as we read in this story, is wiser. And this wisdom comes out here because this older brother says, no way, you know, I like having my meals cooked. I like getting my laundry done. You know, it's not such a bad thing living here at home. And so being a wiser, he, he, uh, he, he has no part of wanting to go with his younger brother. And so first thing we find out about this older son is that he's wiser. The second thing we find out in verse 25, and um, we find here in verse 25 that he's actually a hardworking son. He's not lazy. He's not one that doesn't carry his weight. Um, It says he's out in the fields working hard. And and then the next couple of things we find out about the son is that things that he says about himself. In verse 29, he says, for many years I've been serving the Father, never disobeying. So we also find out he's a good son. He, he doesn't disobey. He's not rebellious. He's doing the right thing. When he goes to school, he studies. He makes good grades. You know, he doesn't do any of the wrong things. He's a good son. His father tells him to be home at 12 midnight. Well, he's home at 11.45. You know, he's a good son. Never had any problems at school. Never got a bad report. Never in trouble with the law. His room was always clean. You know, this is the sort of boy he was. He was a good son, hardworking. And in verse 27, it says, Your brother has come. And he replied, And your father has killed the fatted calf because he had to come back safe and sound. So after this son had gone away and he comes back home, here we find... That um, the fatted calf, now this, this is the point I want to f- make about this older son, is that this identifies some, a flaw in his character. 
So we've seen so far, he's a, he was a good boy and, and, and hardworking. But here in verse 28, he says, he was angry when this happened, and he would not even go in the house. What was he angry about? Well, he was angry, you know. His younger brother's gone out, blown all of his money, come back, and what does dad do? Throws a party, you know. He's never thrown a party for me. I've stayed here and worked faithfully. You know, you can see here there's a real problem. Folks, the problem is what I've been referring to time and time again is the relationship. Did he have a heart-to-heart relationship with his father? Is that what it was based on? Or was it all just based on following the rules, doing the right thing, but not having that true relationship? I can picture him there with his arms crossed and his bottom lip poked out. Go get dad. I'm not going out to him. You know, Tell him to come see me. Well, I'm going to leave that there for a moment. We're going to come back to that. But um, while we're leaving that, um, let's go to verse 29. See, both the sons, the father came out um, to greet. As we know in this story, the father was looking out every day. He'd be looking, longing for his son that left to come home. You know, that's how our Heavenly Father is. He loves us. And at times we drift away. At times we drift in our relationship. And somehow, you know, days have gone by, weeks have gone by. We haven't even spoken to Him. We haven't even prayed or or asked. We've totally forgot Him. And um, probably most of us are guilty of that at times. And the Father's there just longing. Again, He's the perfect Father. He's the perfect side of the relationship. So if there's a relation breakdown, it's our fault. And all we need to do is come to Him. And the Father's there. And He sees us coming. He comes running after us. He meets us. And that's what happens in this story with both sons. You see, the first son, um, when he came home, the, the youngest son, he ran out to meet him. But also we find with this um, older son who's angry and upset with his arms crossed, the Father again comes to him. He comes to him and meets him where we're at. That's the kind of God, the Heavenly Father we have. He comes to us and meets us where we're at. Now, let me um, try to uh, paint a picture of, a, of the type of party. You know, in each of these uh, stories, three stories in this chapter, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, when what was lost was found, what happened? They had a party. They threw a party. Let's just look at that party a little bit. What kind of party is it? Well, we find when the son, when he returns, well, he's given the best robe. Now, this is the Heavenly Father giving a robe to cover him. You see some analogies there. You know, our Heavenly Father covers us with His robe of righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful thing? This son's been out doing the wrong things. Jesus came. He died so that His robe of righteousness covers those horrible things, those mistakes we made. So at this party, you know, you're to be well-dressed in a nice robe. He put a ring on His finger. Again, this ring represented the Father's signature. It was a ring of ownership. You know, in this day and age, it would be like having His credit card. You know, again, He had rights to all that His Father possessed. And this fatted calf was raised and it kept, especially for this occasion. This wasn't just some 
calf that they randomly picked. This was a special calf that was hand-raised and fed special things for a special occasion. So let me ask you, at this party, when this son returned, who was the guest of honor? Speak up. Who do you think is the guest of honor? Yeah, the son. That's, that's, you know, logically you think that he's the guest of honor. But if you really look at the scripture, the, 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 the guest of honor is not the prodigal son. It's actually the father. It's actually the father. And verse 24 says another, is, is where it's, I come to this conclusion, because another reason I say this is because there are parallel parties in these three chapters. And I think that's one reason we have these three stories to help us understand. And as we look at these stories, think about the first party. Well, the party was when a sheep was lost. The sheep was found, they threw a party. Was it for the was a party for the lost sheep? He wasn't even in, at the party. He was just back in the in the, in, the, in the barn or whatever. You know? They probably didn't even put a party hat on him. He wasn't there. You get to the next story, the story of the lost coin. Okay, what was lost is found, a party's thrown. Was the guest of honor the lost coin? No, you put a party hat on the coin, it's lost again. No, the celebration, the party, the guest of honor is the father. The guest of honor is the one who lost something and found it. And that's what our Heavenly Father, He loves you and I so much. He longs for us to come home. And when we're lost, He's just longing for us to realize our condition and our need for Him. He longs to have that heart-to-heart personal relationship with us. And so, this party is for God. It's for the Father. It's for the shepherd. It's for the woman who, who, who lost the coin. And so translated, when one of God's lost lambs comes back from the field, a heavenly party is thrown. And when, when a lost sinner comes back to God... It's a party. It's a celebration. This is the greatest news of heaven. This is the reason that Jesus came and died. You find in verse 29, though, going back to this older son, remember we kind of left him there with his arms crossed and his bottom lip poked out with quite a bad attitude, upset about how his father was treating his younger brother. But you see... His attitude was, you know, I've been here slaving for you all these years. The Bible uses that term, slaving. Now let me just ask you a question. You know, what, what, what's, what's the difference in a slave and a servant? And I think you, if you, you're trying to look at these, you can see sometimes we as Christians, we as whatever denomination, Seventh-day Adventist, or any denomination, we've got to be careful because we don't want to be slaving for God. Because when you're a slave... You're doing it for the wrong reasons. Okay? When you're serving, it's because you respect and you love and you honor your master. But slaving, you know, this is the image let me paint for you. Back when I, my wife and I went back from one of our trips to visit my family in Alabama, we're traveling on one of the interstates, and they have really, you know, good interstates in the states, and they have, you know, really wide, sometimes um, uh, wooded area between the, the, the two directions, and there often, uh, well, what we saw was there was all these guys walking along the road, 
cleaning up the rubbish. But they were all dressed alike, you know, some bright, like, jumpsuits. And they weren't very motivated, you know. They were just kind of, you know, just... And um, we, we, we kind of put it together after we looked at it because back behind them all was a guy on a four-wheel motorbike, you know, with a big gun there, you know, with a guard uniform. These guys were prisoners. What were they doing? Well, they were slaving. They were just doing it. Why? Because they were afraid of the consequences if they didn't. They wouldn't want that. Now, compare that to um, maybe a cleanup Australia day where a group of pathfinders get together and say, hey, we're going to make a difference in our community. We're going to pick up all the rubbish and make this place look really good or maybe a beach or something. You know? And they get out there and they're with their friends and they're just mingling and they're picking up the rubbish and they're doing it just energetic. And You, you, you see the difference in these two? And as Christians, use that. Think about that. You know, what am I doing for God? Is it all about... Um, Because I have to, if it is, you need to look back at that relationship. Are you really in a heart-to-heart loving relationship with God? Or are you just trying to follow the rules, do the right thing to somehow earn something that you can never earn? So the question I ask today, why do you serve? Why do you serve? Is it because you love Him? Or are you slaving? Is there joy in your heart? Or are you just slaving? Slaving away, afraid of the consequences of whatever it is, burning in hell if you don't. Because if the only reason you're coming to church, the only reason you're coming to Sabbath school, the only reason you're doing this and doing that is because you want to not go to hell, you're, you're going to go to hell because it's not going to save you. You've got to be in a loving relationship with a, a God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and you've got to do it because of love. And I want to close with a story. There's a bit more in that, but I feel that 1230 is probably late enough. So I'm going to wrap it up, but I want to, I want to share a story of something very personal. And I'm going to try not to fall into a a crying mess because I get quite emotional. But We had that beautiful gift of a child in 2005. And then in 2009, it would be 10 years ago this September, it was actually about this time that he uh, he didn't have a lot of energy. He had gotten a cold or something and gone to the doctor. And they detected a heart murmur my son Samuel. You know, this was, my wife rang me and I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Something's wrong with his heart. You know, he's going through all these tests. I wasn't there, but, you know, I, I just kind of thought, oh, it can't be anything too serious. Well, later on, my wife rings me and she says, it, it, it's not looking good. He's got a heart defect that's going to require him to have open heart surgery. Four years old. Well, he was turning four in, um, in July. So th- this was, we actually diagnosed just before his birthday when he turned four. And his surgery was actually the 14th of September, 2009. So getting close to 10 years ago. But, you know, as a father, that was the worst news. You know, this son that we prayed and wanted and longed for for all those years is now going to have to go and have open heart surgery and, and I'll never forget going down to the uh, children's hospital there in Brisbane and, 
You know, it happened to have, especially the day of his surgery on the 14th, and, and having to say, my wife, she got to go in a bit further than I did, but, you know, I had to say goodbye. And at that point, you know, I, I would have said, no, 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 let me go. Come work on my heart, not his, you know. I, my four-year-old kid, not him, but I couldn't. I couldn't. I had to let him go. And somehow, you know, I survived it. And somehow he did too with God's help. But it was tough. It was tough and it helped me to realize. Helped me to realize what the great sacrifice that our Heavenly Father has given to us. As it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave. He freely gave. Why? Because you and I are worth that much to Him so that you and I might have eternal life with Him, that you and I could be in a heart-to-heart loving relationship for eternity, that we could go for walks with God. This is what He longs for. And folks, I think there's two big traps that the devil uses. I want to quickly describe, and I think it came out in this story of of the parable. And I call it the parable of the two lost sons because you've got the one son who kind of went off and did all the wrong things. He knew he'd done the wrong things. He was guilty and he was lost. But you also had the older son who was stayed at home, but he was still lost. Why? Because he was just going through the rules. He didn't have a loving relationship with his father. He still was lost. And you know, you, you might be someone, maybe you've never wandered off in the world. You know, I'll probably relate more to the old, uh, younger son. You know, I got a bit rebellious in my late teens and early 20s. And, um, you know, God luckily led me back. And God, my Heavenly Father was there with His arms open. Welcome back, Mike. But, you know, there's others that, you know, you, you, you've grown up a Christian or you've grown up... I've never really done anything all that bad. You know, I've followed all the rules. But I, we've got to realize that, hey... None of us. We're all sinners. No matter how big or how little, and the only way that we can have hope of a future is to look to Jesus Christ. So let's remember the Word of God. As we move forward, you know, for those that are visiting today, whatever, wherever you're from, you know, you, you might not be part of Bow Desert community anymore. But I encourage you to get into a church. Get into and study because we're meant to come together and encourage and study and learn and serve. You know, some people think serving in a church is an option. But if you study Scripture, it's not. If you, if you accept Christ, if you really accept Him, if you're sincere about accepting His sacrifice for you and inviting Him into your heart, the natural result is to serve. And who's the ultimate example of that? Jesus Christ. What did He do with His life? Well, He served. And He's the ultimate example. So let's keep looking to Jesus. At least... Let's keep serving him until he comes. Thank you.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, each person here has come here today from different backgrounds. Each of us have a different journey that's led us to be where we're at. We have different backgrounds. But Lord, the, the thing that we've identified today from Scripture is that we all are, are guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Lord, we just thank You for the, the good news of the Gospel, the good news of Jesus, who came to save us from, from our infection of, of sin. And Lord, I just pray that each person here, whatever they're going through, that you can be relevant to them. That you want to help them. You want them to live life and live it to the full. You want them to experience real joy that comes from only knowing you, no matter what circumstances they're facing here on this earth. And so Lord, just keep us faithful. Fill us with your love, Lord. May that love flow through us because we're connected. We're abiding in you. We're connected to you, the life giver, so that our lives can produce fruit. And then others see in us Jesus because our life is producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, these things don't come naturally, but through your Spirit, Lord, it can. And I know that you uh, will allow... Great things to happen through us if you can work through us if we allow you to. So I just want to pray for Bow Desert Church. We thank you for the way you've led it in the past and we know that you'll continue to lead it into the future. And I pray that the people here that are involved in this church can continue to spread the good news to Bow Desert and the surrounding areas that you are coming back soon. That this world is fast coming to a close. But there is hope and it's through Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.